and welcome to On Focus, brought to you by the Focal Therapy Clinic, where we address issues facing men who are diagnosed with prostate cancer that are little known, less understood, often avoided, and too often ignored. Prostate cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer amongst men in the UK. And with this somber fact comes a multitude of challenges and opportunities. I'm Claire Delmar. Joining me today is Graham Pipe, a recent patient at the Focal Therapy Clinic who underwent HIFU treatment with consultant urologist Tim Dutteridge following a diagnosis of localized prostate cancer. Age 70 and recently retired from a career as a chartered building surveyor, Graham describes himself as young at heart, who loves traveling abroad and is married 47 years to the love of his life, who is a model. Sounds like a perfect candidate for focal therapy. How wonderful to have you here, Graham. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Claire. It's just good to be able to, be able to talk to you and uh, share my experience because I hope it's going to help other guys. Absolutely. So let's kick off. Why don't you start by um, telling me and our listeners what was your initial diagnosis and the treatment recommendation that you were given at that time? It was um, through my local NHS hospital after I, I found I had a raised PSA, I then had the usual MRI mm-hmm. and then a transperennial biopsy, which was, to put it mildly, um, the most unpleasant experience I've ever had, far worse than anything that I experienced having the actual cancer removed. And, and, and can I just ask you quickly, is that because it was under a local anesthetic as opposed to was, a general? It was under a local Mm. I wasn't told what was involved. Mm. Uh, I didn't know what was involved until I actually arrived there. And when having signed all the papers, as usual, I went into the room and then I discovered what they were going to do. Wow. (laughs) So, yes, not the most pleasant experience in my life. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So then do continue. What what was the, um, you know, what what happened after you actually had the, the biopsy? Well, obviously, after the healing. Um, which took quite a few weeks. Um, I had a phone call with the diagnosis, which was then followed up by a letter. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and um, pretty flat, the, the, the phone call was just very factual and included a lot of medical uh, uh, descriptions that I didn't fully understand, even though I had sort of Googled and investigated quite a lot. Mm-hmm. But uh, I did ask some questions so I could then understand what they were saying. And, but the only recommendation given both by phone and the letter was a, a radical prostatectomy or mm-hmm. radiotherapy. Um, mm-hmm. there was, I did ask if there was any other choices, but they said that this was what they would recommend. Okay. So so then why did you seek an alternative approach and, and how did that lead you to the focal therapy clinic? I've known guys who've had prostate cancer. One of my wife's cousins died of it quite when he was in his 40s, because it had spread to his liver or bladder. Mm-hmm. And, and um, over, I had a biopsy probably about 10, 15 years ago, which proved fine, but it was always in my mind. So I was very much aware of the problems relating to it um, and the very unfortunate and very, very common side effects. Mm-hmm. And me being me, um, <clears throat> that was a complete no way did I want any of the side effects of either incontinence or impotence. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there was anything that I could do, any procedure that was available and recommended, I wanted to look at. Mm-hmm. So before the diagnosis, I'd already found the focal therapy clinic. Um, so that's what set me on that line because I still feel young, though my 
body occasionally tells me I'm not. And, <laughs> you know, I didn't want to go around being incontinent or impotent, mm-hmm. you know, for the next few years. So that was, to be honest, that was my main driving force. Yeah. I wasn't concerned about the procedure at yeah. all. And so when you raised those concerns with, with your um, urologist, you know, that initially gave you the, the diagnosis and the treatment recommendation, did, was there a response to that? Did you have any kind of offer of counseling or, or any opportunity no. to discuss your concerns? The only bright part of it was, and I wish I knew her name, mm-hmm. uh, they assigned me a, um, a clinical nurse who phoned me. And she was actually really good, really lovely. She hadn't heard of these focal therapies. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, she worked at the, the same NHS hospital, but she did find out about them uh, and came back to me and actually said that, yes, um, I could be referred to one of the few hospitals that actually do the proceed- these procedures, but it was far too late then because I had already agreed to go with Tim Dodridge at the focal therapy clinic. Okay. So let's let's move on to when you first engaged with Tim. I mean, in addition to him offering you a a, a different approach to your diagnosis and subsequent treatment, um, how, how did he build your confidence in focal therapy? Yeah, you know, I was sort of thinking about that because I first of all spoke to Brian Lynch who, on the phone. He was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Tim phoned me twenty four hours later. Now that's something you know I'm not used to in business or many other ways to have that prompt attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found. With Tim, who already, I, <laughs> me being me, I'd researched him thoroughly to make sure he wasn't a charlatan. Mm-hmm. I think I might be old in that. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, he ticked all the boxes as a fellow professional, not a medical professional. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that what I particularly found helpful with him was obviously he was knowledgeable. Obviously, he knew what he was talking about. But he had that relaxed confidence in him. There was no bravado. There was no hyping it up. He was a man who just knew that he knew what he was talking about and had nothing to prove to himself or me. Mm-hmm. And that might sound sort of quite sort of, um, strange, but it's that that instilled the confidence in me that he knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. So he, when he said that, yes, you know, I was not ideal, candidate um, for focal therapy um, and that he could um, said there was a very high likelihood that my urinary problems would um, go and I would not have them again and that my impotence, I would not have any impotence at all. Mm-hmm. I believed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, there was that small amount of doubt, but up to that point, as you could appreciate, uh, I was very fearful and worried because mm-hmm. I thought, well, Will I be a suitable candidate? Will I? Could I do it? Mm-hmm. So when at the consultation, he said, "Yes, we can. Um, um, you've got an excellent chance of a full recovery and beyond." Um, I, my, lot of my worry went. Mm-hmm. And um, how long has it been since you actually had your treatment? Well, I suppose the dates in my memory, indelibly, that was the twenty eighth of August, twenty twenty. Twenty twenty one. I'm sorry. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and how are you now? <laughs> um, absolutely fantastic. Um, <laughs> I have absolutely no incontinence of any description, and I'm fully sexually active without mm-hmm. any side effects of any sort. 
Um, I had the the annual MRI, which Tim arranged because he saw the, the the hospital wouldn't do it for me, and that was completely clear, and all the margins were clear. My PSA was low, so I now wanted just a six month um, checkup and surveillance again with Tim. I'm absolutely fine, and I'm very, very happy indeed. Yeah, that's good news. Um, I just want to pick up on what you said about the, um, you know, the the, the monitoring um, through MRI and the PSA testing. So, if I just can step back, I mean, your journey clearly has been a blend of both NHS and and private care through the focal therapy clinic. I mean, how would you describe this experience? Because it's something that a lot of men will be facing and contemplating and and don't fully understand. And I'm just wondering if you can offer you know, just some, some, either some red flags or some, you know, some, some, you know, things that people ought to be looking out for and and be mindful of. The difficulty is my experience, obviously, with the NHS from whenever it was for all the time, except the clinical nurse was very, very poor Mm. uh, communication and everything else. Um, So that obviously will affect my view. And I'm sure there's many, many hospitals who just wouldn't do this. Okay. Uh, there may be a history to that, which actually I'm aware of. Uh, but so, uh, um, but once I got um, involved with the focal therapy clinic, everything changed. Tim was fantastic. He had two staff, I think Kirsten and Natalie that I dealt with, were incredibly helpful, mm-hmm. guided through all the procedures and everything else I needed to do. And the communication was superb. Um, which is high value to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everything went really very well indeed. Mm-hmm. So I was very happy with that. I knew that the procedure itself, and even after the procedure, I'm not likely to get um, much pain. Um, but the only thing I wasn't looking forward to was the catheterization, which I actually hated. Again, not painful, just demeaning and horrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, who wants to go to bed with a bag strapped to their leg, for goodness sake. Mm-hmm. So but I got through that, obviously. But I, I would recommend that, assuming that, as in most cases, the initial contact will be with the NHS, that you ask the consultant or whoever has given you the diagnosis lots of questions and to ask them to explain it in layman's language. So you can understand whether or not there's a serious problem or whether it's a less serious problem. Because I was presented with a less serious problem, which became clear um, once I started researching it. But how, how do you mean? Can you can you explain that when you, when well, you said you were presented with a less serious problem? There's something called the Gleason scale that you yes. may or may not have. Yeah, and yeah. they gave me the figures. So while I was talking, he was talking to me on the phone. My wife was busy googling it. Yeah. And found actually that the Gleason scale was actually quite, quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't say that. So, and then being presented with the radical options, um, you know, obviously it was considered, as it would appear to them, as being a very serious thing with no, no other option. Mm-hmm. Um, need to ask questions, uh, including, of course, if a radical. Um, procedure is recommended, as in my case, that you then ask if there's any other alternatives and mention are is focal 
um, therapy an alternative? And mm-hmm. Would you be able to refer me if you don't do it? Mm-hmm. There's only six or seven hospitals currently in over 130 NH trusts, which I believe are actually offering these procedures. So, but, so I would recommend they ask about that. Okay. Um, and keep pressing it. And then they will be able to find out when talking, for example, to the focal therapy clinic, that whether or not they are a good candidate, so to speak. Yes, I mean this. This the criteria for for actually selecting um, patients for the procedure is is quite rigorous, as you know, and involves quite a lot of um, you know quite a lot of discussion. Involves an MDT, um, and you've obviously been through it. And you know, so I think it's it's an interesting question about what you would recommend to to other men who have a similar diagnosis and you, you've very um, helpfully put out, you know, asking questions. Is there anything else you would suggest? I mean, you mentioned, for example, that your wife was involved in your conversations, even in some of the, some of the research that obviously drove you to, to uh, achieve what you finally did under, undergo. Would, is there anything around partners or um, other, other aspects that you think you would want to recommend to someone in your situation? My wife and I communicate a huge amount about virtually everything. Um, but a lot of men don't like to talk about this. Yeah, uh, that's an important yeah. point. Yeah. yeah, I want to encourage all men to be honest about it just, um, because if, if they can't deal with this before they have a procedure, then it's too late for many of them. Dramatic mm-hmm. um, effect on their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, that's extremely helpful. And I really want to thank you for coming today and, and, and chatting to us about it. Um, would you be willing to chat to other patients who, who might contact us um, having listened to this interview? Of course I would, yes, because obviously I, I've got my own experience and I'm a firm believer in what Tim and his colleagues do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For obvious reasons. So, well, first of all, uh, I mean, it's great news to hear, you know, that you've had such a wonderful recovery. And I want to thank you once again for joining us Um and we look forward to to possibly speaking again in the future. Thanks again. Yes, I look forward to that. Thank you. A transcript of this interview is available um, on the program notes on our website, along with links to more information on diagnosis and treatment for prostate cancer and additional interviews and stories about living with prostate cancer. Please visit www.thefocaltherapyclinic.co.uk and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Focal Therapy Clinic. Thanks for listening. And for me, Claire Delmar, see you next time.